you too. Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the weekly show of Classroom Without Walls, episode one twenty six. And on this show, I interview leading social media marketers, entrepreneurs, business owners, and to come here to share with us their best strategies and best practices, so that we can future-proof our business. And today we have the one only Carrie、uh, Bolick join us live to share her journey, incredible journey, from a preschool teacher. To generating millions in revenue, I just love the story. And for those of you who don't know who is this amazing woman that I love, respect, and look up to, and、uh, Carrie is a business strategist, and she is an international keynote speaker, and she's also the co-owner of、uh, Tandem Consulting. And、uh, by the way, I have your husband on the show. And we had a great conversation. And today we're talking about Carrie's journey from a preschooler to generating millions in revenue, and what we can learn from her transformation. And we are also going to discuss side hustles and how you can scale side hustles. Sorry, my cat. I just want to make sure she doesn't. She won't shut the door. And how you can scale your side hustles, and what are some common mistakes. That side hustlers make, and the differences between employee mentality versus business owner mentality, and so much more. So I'm really excited, and、uh, Carrie, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this dialogue with you for weeks now, so I appreciate the invite. Ah,、uh, likewise, and I see our friend Ah、uh, Liz in Australia is live with us. And we are live on LinkedIn, on Periscope, Twitter, and YouTube and Facebook.、Uh, my dear friend、uh, Peter is live commenting, and in the comment section, if you have any question, feel free to tag him. If I missed your question, so are you ready to get started, Carrie? Yes, let's do this. Yeah, so excited! I really want to start our conversation. By learning more about your incredible transformation and transition, so you started your career as a preschool teacher, which is kind of my career, and also started as a teacher. So, how did you transition from being a teacher to where you are today? You know, a very successful entrepreneur, speaker, generating millions in revenue, and so share that story with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you asking, and it is always fun to reflect on the journey because it, it's been a progression. I'm sure a lot of my growth has been very incremental. I did not build a business full time from the ground up.、Um, I actually started more with a side hustle approach, as you mentioned. So I was in undergrad. I studied sociology and women's studies, so I have very liberal studies backgrounds. And really, the reality of graduating, getting a job, and just realizing very quickly that being in education, my <laughs> finances were not going to support the dream. I mean, that's why I left. <laughs> yeah, it's a gut check. And every job I ever had was with children, and I never got paid well. And、mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I was passionate about it, but it it really undercut a lot of my bigger vision and the things that I wanted to do on a larger scale. So I said. What the heck? I'm going to keep my job. I'll get the job in teaching, but then just slowly leverage evenings and weekends 
to incrementally build something out and also develop me because I hardly had a resume at that point, let alone business experience. So I wasn't extreme. I took more of a moderate approach, I would say, to entrepreneurship. But then compounded over a handful of years time, I was actually able to make that conversion, especially with mentorship and coaches help to facilitate transitioning out of my job altogether. My part time Mm -hmm. businesses were making me more than my full time career, which as a teacher was not hard to replace. But it was a really big victory to be able to get to that space and then just say, hey, I have 40 more hours in my week. Let me go pursue things I'm passionate about, as well as reinvest into other people and really coach other folks on how to scale a side hustle effectively, like we've been able to do. So, and now we've we've started other businesses. We started a nonprofit. We're writing a book. So it's just led to a neat lifestyle where we've really been able to customize our choices and really reach a lot of the larger vision that we were hopeful for in our early twenties when we started developing good habits and accessing coaches. Wow, I have so many questions to to ask you based on what you shared. I feel like there's so much that we can impact. So first, I'm really curious because you mentioned, you know, your like uh, liberal arts uh, background, you know, women's study have nothing whatsoever to do with business. So like what kind of inspired you to even like invest in coaches and thinking about developing side hustles? I mean, like, I didn't start working on my side hustles until I was like, you know, midway into my 30s. And so I'm just curious, what is it about your or your life that really inspired you to start those like side hustles and even investing in coaches and mentors? Yeah, well, I I realized pretty young that everything is a skill set, right? So even though I didn't have a ton of practical business experience, I'd had success in other arenas, just like you, of course. Um, My success was mainly in athletics. So I knew, hey, I actually do have some transferable skills that I can bring to the table, especially with an effective coach helping me. And I would also say the inner drive was just the harsh reality that if I really was in touch with my deeper goals, that I wasn't going to have those fulfilled by one career path. And so a lot of times when we talk about a side hustle, people often think about diversifying their income, which is super, super important, and I highly recommend it. But how about also diversifying your skill sets? I love that. Because maybe you're a nurse. Your nursing skills are very confined to the healthcare space. Maybe you work as a professor, right, or an educator like you and I did, or in sales. There's all sorts of great skills and development, but it is fairly industry specific. And I got excited about really expanding that bubble and just like maximizing a lot more of my potential in the process. Oh, I love that. And if you remember, what are some of the very first side hustles that you engage? Do you mind sharing with us? Yeah. So one of my first side hustles was in the e-commerce space. So Mm -hmm. I had to find something that was low risk and low cost because I didn't have a lot of income. So there's a lot of different side hustles people can pick up. I mean, the the list is endless. Most people don't need ideas. It's just finding practical ways that they can really get in the game. Because what we see is a lot of people talk a very big game. Mm -hmm. They've got this cool new app or this really amazing product, this novel idea. 
but then it's not based in reality or practicality or efficiency or effectiveness. And they really struggle to actually start and scale and build something. So I just tell people keep it realistic, most importantly. And it, it kind of gets into the topic of you have to be passionate about your side hustle. Mm-hmm. It's kind of up in the air. I think some people feel, oh, I really have to be passionate. And I really respect that. I think that's awesome. For us, we weren't necessarily passionate about e-commerce per se, but what we were passionate about was what it could create for us Mm. in terms of lifestyle and the person that we would have to become to really create success in those environments. So um, I think kind of figuring out where you stand on that spectrum, because we said, hey, let's just do something effective and efficient, and then we can segue to more of those passion projects like we're doing at this point. Well, I, I love this. I, I think, you know, actually one of my questions, I know quite a few people nowadays who have side hustles, but very few of them are actually very successful at scaling their side hustles. I think one common mistake is that we think this has to be, you know, when we start a business, it has to be like changing the universe, right? I have something really, really big. But from what I heard from you, it's like, no, you don't have to. You have to be kind of down to earth, start with something that can be scaled, even if you are not really passionate about this. I love this. I love this. Yeah, yeah. And it reminds me, and uh, just listening to you, sharing this, and I have something that I want to share on my screen. I have just shared with my own students, which is, I don't know, Carrie, if you know this, called Aikigai or Ikigai. No. no. Yeah. So what they talk about is a very popular Japanese concept I sharing like how people have like fulfilling lives, like feeling happy. So they talk about, you know, just doing what you love is not enough, right? And what you love, what you are good at, at the same time, people are going to pay for this. And also this is something that everyone needs. So the sweet spot is something that we want to devote our life to. So like your story just reminds me of that. So I kind of want to share really, really powerful. That's a very fancy Venn diagram. And it definitely visually hits on that deeper question of, what what will people pay you to do? And I think that was a big part of that, that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that is even Mark Schaefer in his book, uh, How to Become Known, he was talking about this, right? Many people pursue their passion. I think that's kind of how I got started on this journey. But then quickly I realized, oh my God, people are not interested in paying for this. <laughs> Why do I waste my time? So I love that. So mm-hmm. what do you think? are some other kind of mistakes that side hustlers make besides, you know, I need to choose something really big, you know, my passion. So what are some other mistakes? I have a lot I can uh-huh. share on this. Um, first, <laughs> all, yeah. I will, I'm going to bring it first and foremost, very naive and sometimes foolish goal setting. Hmm. A lot of people overestimate what they can do in a year or so, but then vastly underestimate what they can do in five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other aspect would be assuming that revenue is going to equate to net profit. (sighs) And I'm very blessed to be married to a financial analyst, someone who's extremely savvy fiscally. So that's helped transfer a lot of thought process to me over the years. Um, We also often see people prematurely spend profit 
that hasn't actually come in yet. It's not in their bank account yet, but they, they think the deal's coming through mm. or they think the big end of your bonus is processing. And so they're prematurely spending money that they haven't necessarily completely earned yet. Um, I would also say under investing, especially mm. if someone has more of an employee background, like really shifting the thinking on investing is hard for people. And we often have to continue to fight against that um, tendency to want to pull back. Um, but we've always been very willing to invest into our businesses. Um, another one would be over investing in the fancy, fun, front end work. Mm -hmm. Like putting up your website, creating business cards, making your LinkedIn bio. A lot of people think that's building their business. When yes, mm -hmm. are some of those things really important? For sure. But some of them are just what makes people feel like a business owner versus just going out and doing the work and building a business. Mm. And so people can get really bogged down in some of that fun, flashy kind of Pinteresty business stuff. Yeah, like the logo, they said yeah. that. We'll roll up your sleeves and build something. Um, we've never had business cards. We don't use business cards. Sometimes that surprises people, but we never needed a business card to make us feel like business owners. And specific to what we do, we just didn't quite frankly need them. So I'm not saying no one should have a business card. But again, we weren't confused about what the actual work to help with the bottom line was going to be for growing our businesses. And we just stayed really true to that. Um, we didn't bounce around. I think that's another mistake people make is sometimes entrepreneurs have that brain where it's like looking for the next shiny best thing. And that can be really tricky. If you actually want to anchor yourself and build something, you have to be up for the mundane, sort of the boring, the non-glamorous work. A lot of what we do is just like pretty routine, basic things. It's not what you see on Instagram per se, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love, oh my God, oh, those are really, really great tips. And I can resonate, you know, shiny object. I have been there myself, <laughs> you know, trying to stay focused because the thing is that even if you are doing something you love, running a business has so many different aspects, mm -hmm. there will be an aspect that you don't particularly enjoy that much and you yeah. just have to, you know, stay with it. Yeah. So here is a great question from Dan. And uh, so thank you for joining us live. So he was interested, you know, for people who are kind of like starting out for the ventures, are they, can you, can, did you guys start from scratch or like, you know, outside support? And so for people yeah. who are kind of interested in growing and building their side hustles. Yeah. So we more bootstrapped and that's why we kept our jobs for a number of years because our jobs having good stable careers and using more of a side hustle approach helped us create good cash flow to invest into building our side hustle. So when we coach people, it's really important that they have, you know, solid careers in place so that they're not having to take out loans or go find investors. They can just really use some of those resources that they have to, you know, chip away at, at building their business and make good investments. So there's all different ways to do it. Um, but that's the approach we took because we didn't have a lot of capital and we didn't want the stress of borrowing capital from outside sources either. Totally. Did you and your husband kind of resign from your like full-time jobs at the same time or you guys like phased it? Oh, like yeah, we phased it. Um, so I, I stepped out pretty early in my 20s 
Um, Craig did very well professionally, you know, made a solid six figure income, great career. So it took us longer to replace his income. And what we did is a little bit counterculture where we waited till we had fully, fully replaced his income and then some. So I know sometimes side hustlers wait till they've maybe replaced 40%, 60%. We, we waited until we really fully replaced it so that that transition was not stressful. It was felt very secure and very stable as we, as we shifted things around and he became you know, more of a full-time business owner at that point. Wow, I love that. It reminds me of, I think this, uh, I forgot his name, is a really well-known YouTuber. And he shared, you know, for him to grow his channel from like zero, zero followers to like, uh, like the first 1 million, it took him, for example, 10 years. And from the first million to the second million, third million took him about one year. And so it's really interesting to see like really build up momentum. So I'm curious, to see your journey, you know, from being a preschooler to kind of scale that very first side hustle, like how long did it take? And then slowly, is this kind of the process like quicker and you can scale and grow and sell business faster? So yeah. how is your journey? Yeah. No, it's a great question. That exponential factor is so underestimated, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it took a handful of years for me to transition, maybe a little bit less than that. But then what was so powerful is that everything we had learned in that process helped us succeed even more quickly in the, in the years after that. So what people think about is, you know, building the foundation is just going to take some time. But then once you have the expertise, the skill sets, the network, the influence, the acumen, then that's where that exponential growth can really start to take off and experience almost more rewards than you think you deserve. Like, I think that in the beginning you work so hard and you're like, I'm very underpaid. But over time, I think a lot of big business owners feel very overpaid, but mm -hmm. that's because they've really been able to make that transition from small business self-employed to more big business. Yeah, speaking of which, yeah, I love that. You know, that there's definitely a journey. When I see other people like selling programs, hey, we can teach you, you know, overnight, like six months, and you know, I made like six, eight, seven figures. I'm like, yeah, I don't really believe that. Like, yeah. nobody can, can create a business like that. Yeah. So I want to ask you, I know you guys are really into mindset. So I want to ask you this question. I recently uh, watched, I don't know if you follow James Whitemore. So he actually uh, uh, did a free training and uh, uh, eight episodes talking about digital CEO. So in his training, he actually described four different types of entrepreneurs. One is, I have it on my notebook, unpaid but overworked intern. The second one is the dead-end job employee. The third one is the modern day marketer. And the last one is digital CEO, which is a more ideal state, according to him. But you also talked kind of some similarly about, you know, mindset, things like that. I wonder if you can explain to us what are the differences between the employee mentality versus now, you know, as a business owner, as a CEO mentality. And uh, how can we make that shift? I feel like many people are kind of stuck. You know, they think like employee, even though the intention was to create a business that can give them freedom. Right. And but oftentimes the, the, the freedom, the job is actually consuming our lives. So share with us the differences between the two different types of, you know, employee versus business owner. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's really 
drastic differences. And I don't believe one is superior to the other. I just think they create different outcomes, right? So it's very important to understand what are, what are the ways that I think, what's my deeper scripting, and do, am I willing to unlearn and really develop new mindset that maybe fits the quadrant or the you know outcomes that I want to achieve in life. So for business owners, you create the work. Mm. As an employee, you show up to work, they give you what they want you to do. They even give you a stapler and some free pens, right? Like everything is handed to you in a sense, more or mm. less, versus the work of a business is to go create the work. And so there's just like extra level of discipline and motivation and hustle and really fire that has mm -hmm. to be present to some level. And I wouldn't yeah. even call it passion. I don't think it's passion. I think it's just like a deeper drive and a deeper will to win and mm -hmm. to be willing to do things that you're maybe actually not that passionate about, like maybe make a cold call or go run a B2B appointment. I mean, those aren't things that got me excited, but I was willing to do some of those things because it was worth it to me in terms of the outcome I could create. Um, mm -hmm. The other aspect is we talked about investing, right? In my job as a teacher, I mean, I invested the 40 hours, but I only got paid for those 40 hours. It's not as though they were going to keep paying me if I didn't keep coming. So really having that idea of return on investment and being willing to do more, to do extra, to not necessarily be counting your hours, because when it's your business, if you have a minimums mindset, the joke is kind of on you because you're the boss, mm -hmm. right? So it's yeah. just that whole shift in thinking that whatever we used in our career paths in business, it looks different. And I challenge people and I ask people, you know, would you want to work for someone else for 60 hours and get paid for 40? Most people would say, heck no. Yeah. But then when it's your own, you might have to do that for quite a while before you necessarily create enough steam or momentum to actually get paid well to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like raising babies, right? The first few years, they just like completely rely on you. Now yeah. my, my eight years old is a lot more independent. So he has been helping us. So like, yeah, type of investment. So yeah. So here's a question I think from Peter. And uh, so he asked you, how did you outsource at the start, the early stage compared to now? Actually, I have a similar question. So from side hustle, I'm sure you kind of did everything by yourself. So at, at which point did you actually invest in a team? So it really depends on how much you can monetize your hourly rate, right? So we mm -hmm. had to think about what are things based off of our, our income, what are tasks or things that we could outsource to someone else, not as an employee necessarily, but just as a contractor? Mm -hmm. And how can we get certain things off of our plate that are just physically not worth our time? Because we are worth more than it would pay, than it would cost to pay somebody else to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's where just putting those analytics to play are, are important. Do the math. What makes sense to get off your plate? What makes sense for you to continue to have a hand on? Um, also, what makes sense for you to get off your plate, but still sort of manage a little bit, because it's very easy when we delegate to either hover completely, and then it sort of defeats the purpose of having someone else do it, or we tend to just be completely hands off, mm. and the person we outsource it to might not really have that same level in, of investment 
um, in the job getting done or the tasks. So just finding that happy medium of being willing mm -hmm. to let go of a little bit of control, which is very difficult for a lot right. of business owners because it's your baby. So don't mess with the baby. Mm -hmm. um, but also knowing that you do have limitations in terms of time and, and, and energy and just finding creative ways that you can actually have people do things that are duplicatable. And, and we never wanted to be so talented that we couldn't be duplicated because that's where people get very stuck in, in, in hardcore self-employment, right? If you think about a dentist or a good lawyer, I mean, if, if they want to go to Europe for a year, you're not going to see the dentist technician for your root canal. You'll just go find a different dentist because mm -hmm. they're not duplicatable, right? So just figuring out ways that other people can actually do what you do in a sense and do it well. Yeah, I actually learned my license because I was working with a coach and I do lots of teaching. And he asked me, do I have like a guide just in case something happened to me on that day? I couldn't show up. I couldn't deliver my license. I was like, I don't have. So now I'm learning, you know, to slowly create like processes and systems in my own business. So one day if I'm safe, if I can't show up, at least other people know like what are the steps so, so they can step in. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So have you ever actually worked with VAs uh, in different countries? I haven't. No, I haven't. And I know people do. Um, so maybe I, I should look into it. I don't know. Yeah, but like I'm just curious because I tried and uh, didn't uh, work really well in my case. So I'd love to learn some tips from you. But it seems like you don't have this experience either. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard good things from certain people, um, other business owners on VAs. I just haven't necessarily taken that step. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, like anyway, in the live audience, if you have you know some success with like this in different countries so definitely do let us know yeah so here's uh another question from one of our live audience and so how do you determine and pass a viable idea uh looking for an example or uh, user case actually that's kind of one of my questions with covid i was actually doing some research just in the united states almost like 40 million Americans lost their jobs. So can you imagine the number on a global scale? I can't. So like, you know, like what, where, where should we even get started for those people who lost their jobs, but they have a family, they have bills to pay. So how do they even test their, validate their ideas, you know, to have some side hustles. So yeah, give us some, like some tips and some ideas. Yeah, well, it's that's the, that's the really sad part. The really hard part right now is just knowing how many people are hurting in that way. Um, mm -hmm. And in so many ways, losing hope um, because of maybe job loss and all those things. So a couple things that I would share is number one, don't let it hurt your self-image. Losing mm -hmm. a job can be a huge self-image dip, right? So doing things that continue to grow you, help grow your confidence, like reading books, doing good networking, getting around other people who are upward mobile and who are instilling a lot of belief and, and, and faith in you can go a long way at that time. Um, the other aspect, and like, like you shared, is just building more of a side hustle, not necessarily doing anything super extreme or high risk. But finding something that is scalable, that you can progressively build, that you don't have to put a ton of money into, but you can put sweat equity into. Mm. I love that term. Yeah. Yep. 
So for me, I didn't invest a ton of capital into my first couple of businesses. I invested a lot of sweat equity because I had time. I was 22. I had a fair amount of time on my hands. And so, you know, maybe you, you don't work a 40 hour job right now. If you got let go, you've got some time. Go put mm -hmm. it to work in your favor and learn how to invest it into something that can be built into something bigger versus just spending it. You know, if you think about driving Uber, I mean, maybe that's something someone needs to do to create a little bit of monetary gain to invest, but that shouldn't fool you into thinking you're building something that you're gonna scale over time, right? Because that's yeah. very one to one. Yeah, yeah. Ways that you can actually more exponentially grow. Um, and the other thing would be do some testing. I think someone's question is like, how do you test a viable idea? Mm -hmm. Maybe you wanna start a restaurant, that's your life dream. Maybe start with a small food cart. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people think I have to go all in or not at all, but like maybe do some catering, figuring out, do you even enjoy the food industry? Like take one step into the industry and play around with it a little bit and just see if it is actually viable from some of your short-term experience. Um, ask other leaders in the industry. I'm a huge promoter of find people who are five to 10 years beyond where you are mm -hmm. and tap into what the heck they did. What was their mindset? What were the mistakes that they made that they recommend you not make? How can you actually leverage other people's journey to expedite your own success journey and sidestep a lot of the things that they messed up? And yeah. So those would be a few of my first few first few tips. Yeah, kind of like what you mentioned earlier, you know, investing in like coaches and mentors. I feel like even if you don't have the capital to invest in one, you can easily start a podcast, start like which is free, right? You can just yeah. start a live streaming show and then you can slowly build your audience and interview those people that you would love to network with and have a conversation like what we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and just be willing to ask for what you need. And I think that's not always easy, especially if somebody feels like they're in a little bit of a slump. But if you don't ask, you will not receive. And so really being willing to go for it and be bold in your pursuit, not necessarily with like investing hundreds of thousands of dollars, but just being bold and getting the support you need and being able to do good work. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I, I love this. It's so good. Yeah. So I know that you are really like uh, passionate about, you know, like investing coaches and, you know, personal development. So share with us why it is so important to invest in ourselves in order to kind of grow our business and kind of share with us how has working with coaches and mentors really helped you? And uh, you are so successful today. Are you still working with coaches and mentors? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, so for us, we've really always viewed personal development as the heartbeat of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And we're always growing as people and we stay green. We stay green and you know fresh on the journey. We know that we'll always be growing. So I think having that growth mindset is incredibly important. And then I think coaches naturally bring that out of people if you find a really good qualified coach. Mm. And so that's one thing to consider is just as you're assessing, who do I want to work with? Because there are a lot of coaches and some are amazing, some are actually not that experienced. So just figuring out, hey, are they certified or are they qualified, right? Because those are kind of two different things. Just because someone gets a certification in something doesn't necessarily mean they've Grown a huge business necessarily. 
Um, so just be willing to ask some questions and make sure that you find someone that's actually a good match. And what we always share with people is find somebody who actually has what you want. They've created the actual results that you want in your life because then it can be a very streamlined process um, in mm -hmm. terms of their knowledge transfer to you. And if you can get them a little bit invested in your journey, that's even better because that means that they have a little skin in the game for you to perform and for you to succeed and for you to do well versus just having a cup of coffee with someone once every six months and calling yeah. it membership, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what are some ways that, like, uh, you kind of you guys invest in yourself? Besides, you know, did you take like courses, invest in like mentors, go to retreat? So, give us some examples. Yeah. So, I mean, different different book programs, different podcasts, just putting a lot in here, um, very intentionally. Otherwise, a lot of what we get is not going to help us on our journey if we sort of are casual about what's going into our brain, right? So we were really de deliberate about the books we were reading and the training and education that we were getting. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. attending conferences, figuring out, hey, what are conferences in my industry that are relevant and that maybe other people actually vouch for and recommend because mm -hmm. conferences can be really expensive. So making sure you're going to ones that are you're gonna get your money's worth. And that's where a mentor can be really helpful because if they know your industry well, mm -hmm. they can say, yeah, maybe actually skip that conference, but here's three books that will cost you, you know, $50 versus $2,000, right? It's just sometimes these like small customizations that go so far. And a lot of people think, oh, I just need more content. I need more content. You actually might not need any more content. You might need more customization on your journey. Amen. I, I so agree. And I work with students and people think that it is information that is going to help me transform. It is not information. It is actually application. As they go through the application, people need more customization, handholding, mentoring and coaching. It's not definitely not. You know, I think we have way too much information. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And it can be very confusing and actually paralyzing for people if you are, are too information driven, right? Mm -hmm. And so I always, I always share with people the value of experiential learning. Please read some books, of course, but your primary driver of actually skill development is gonna be through being out in the field and doing the work firsthand and really learning through failing. And that's not easy for people, especially if they've been scripted their whole life to not make mistakes and not get mm -hmm. fired and not mess things up, right? Mm -hmm. And so just accepting that like messing some things up, even like you said, like you you maybe made a few mistakes early on, but that's how you feel. It doesn't. It doesn't help. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can't count our mistakes anymore. And we feel like we've been successful because we've been willing to make more mistakes than most people. So yeah and also like learn from those mistakes, right? And then reflect on those mistakes. Yeah. I want to ask you, you know, and you are really active on linkedin so like it is that something kind of you have been like intentionally to cultivate you know building a very active presence on linkedin developing a network like developing meeting mentors and coaches so like what inspired you to be on linkedin and how has uh being so active on this platform really helped you like grow as a person and uh and uh, your businesses yeah 
Yeah, no, that's a good question. So we did not actively use social media for the first 14, 13, 14 years of building our businesses. Which, believe it or not, I know. I'm not sure if I should be embarrassed or proud of that. But no, we didn't use social media. Yeah. So in the last year, 18 months, we just said, hey, there's a huge opportunity on social media. We chose an environment that we felt like had just really good you know, supportive people, a good community, high caliber people. So we said, hey, let's go with LinkedIn. It's very professional, um, but it's a great space to be able to transfer a lot of thought process and get to know a lot of other great professionals and business owners. So I would say you don't need to be on every single social media platform. We chose a couple and we've really anchored ourselves in those environments and really built community. And so one of the other fumbles that I see people make as business owners is being very transactional mm. versus relational. And so I jumped on LinkedIn. My goal was, hey, how do I create a good presence, have people learn what I'm about, understand who we are and our values and vision, and really broadcast that so the right people could find us. Mm. And what we found is through that, that we also were able to build a lot of really amazing relationships. And so has there been net profit and revenue created through being on LinkedIn? Absolutely. But it's also created like just as many intangible benefits with relationships and other really neat opportunities that I really wouldn't have guessed, but kind of come with just good networking and having good etiquette and a good heart and good intentions when you're on a platform with amazing people. So I've been nothing but impressed. I've loved my experience. Um, I got on there and I said, hey, I'm going to post a few videos every week consistently for a year. And I did that. And I would say that's- yeah, I saw that. Congratulations. One year anniversary, right? The one year anniversary. Yeah. And I did not want to do it. I mean, I didn't even want to make my LinkedIn profile public. That's how I was just like, we've made all, we've had all the success, like in our private little bubble. I kind of just want to keep it that way. And finally I was like, no, I need to go for it. And I made my, my profile public and started putting out content and haven't really looked back. So it's been a very oh, rewarding journey. So you are, you are kind of actually, you know, this show has been like kind of a uh, hundred plus episode. I feel like you are the first person who didn't start this social media journey, but build quite a few successful businesses. I'm really curious. So before social media, like how did uh, people discover you? <laughs> before social media, how did people even do it? I know. <laughs> In-person, old school networking. A lot of hand-to-hand -hand meeting people, connecting. I mean, I guess the same yeah. way people have always done it before the internet, but I mean, we just sort of didn't see the bigger opportunity with social media. So, I mean, I would have liked to have jumped on prior to last year, 18 months ago, but we were doing fine with our businesses. So it just, we didn't really have that sense of urgency yet. Um, but mm -hmm. I was, I was glad that we again had that green mentality and were open to change and trying new things mm -hmm. and, and also just being a little bit, um, like new at something again is kind of exciting and fun in a lot of different ways. And there's yeah. probably a lot of business owners out there that are in their forties, fifties and sixties where they're like, oh, I don't really want to change. That'd be a lot of work to learn about social media. I'm not going to do it. And I just urge you to stay really green and I mean, potentially outsource some of that. Maybe you don't need to be the pioneer figuring out social media, but at least be open to it because it is a huge opportunity.
Totally. But on the other hand, I have personally met enough people who are actually on LinkedIn, but they don't have a business. And I also see the other end, you know, I think you guys are doing really well. So you have only been on LinkedIn for like less than two years. Oh, wow. Really incredible. So how is this online network? How do you amplify? How do you use the online network kind of amplify your own business? Like what's the, the connection between your like this online new space and this kind of the traditional face-to-face -face space that you guys have been nurturing over the last several decades like are they kind of parallel or like like what's the relationship i'm curious i think it's integrated in so many ways just because a lot of our previous network is on social media right but i think what's so powerful about social is it just really broadens your reach mm. And that there's something very special about that. I mean, there's people for anyone listening, there's people who need your services, they need your mindset, they need your product, but they're in the middle of nowhere, Utah. And unless you're on social media, sharing about who you are and how you solve their problems, potentially, it's gonna be pretty tricky for them to find you and access you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it hard for you? Like, was there a particular specific trigger that pushed you to be on LinkedIn and embrace the video? Or just like one day you woke up, yeah, I'm going to do this and started using video. Like, I'm interested in the next yeah, one. It was, it was something that I just thought about for a really long time. Um, it for many many months and i just was too uncomfortable to do it again i didn't want to be so public um but then it just got to the point i went to an in in-person linkedin training where we live and uh -huh. the speaker who's become a great friend of mine um chantelle sumas she uh -huh. just talked about vulnerability and after the training i got in my car pulled out my camera shot a video it sucked, so I didn't use that one. But then I drove home, went in my backyard, shot another video and another one and another one and many takes. And finally, I got a reasonable enough video. I posted it on social media and that was my first video. And it was kind of like I flipped the switch at that point and just said, like, enough is enough. I just need to do this. I'm wasting so much time fretting and like mm -hmm. thinking about this. And that's not really my temperament. Like as a business owner, I'm a very decisive person. I'm quick to act. So I think I just got frustrated enough where I said, the heck with this, I'm just going to actually do it. And what's so powerful is that once you start to really experience some of those intangible benefits of putting yourself out there, it, it really sort of multiplies that momentum. And if mm -hmm. you run with that momentum and don't slow down, I think that's what really can propel people in a very special way. Yeah, it definitely gets easier and easier. But the key is like that very first, you know, how we kind of transform from our comfort zone, fear zone, and learning zone, and eventually to grow and uh, hopefully to master this. Yeah, well, well, really powerful. I didn't know that because you are such a natural when it comes to video. And uh, like, I, I didn't know this uh, backstory. So really uh, interesting hearing that story. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We've been public speakers, so I can't say that I'm not used to talking to people, but with one-on-one -on -one with a camera, that's a very different skill set. So I think that's what was more intimidating than anything. Not Not a lack of things to say, but just like actually doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so far, I think we're all very impressed by you guys. And you have quite a, quite a few businesses, 
two young children, and you guys are also starting a nonprofit. And I just learned working on a book. So, like, I want you to definitely share with us what the book is about, and also, like, how do you stay productive and how do you stay motivated? What are some like tips for like entrepreneurs and、uh, especially right now, everyone is kind of working from home. Their work life, everything is like really blurred. So, give us some like productivity tips that you use. Yeah, so I think what's hard initially is motivating ourselves to do the work, right? But once we sort of hit our stride, we create some growth. Maybe you create some customers, or you create some sort of team, or you start to bring on some employees. It's easy to be motivated when the light shifts onto other people that you're、mm -hmm. helping, right?、Mm -hmm. So I recommend for people just fight really hard, be extra disciplined until you get to that point, and then it's mainly about serving other people. Mm. Which is actually quite easy for me.、Mm. When there's an opportunity to help somebody else, I'm very rallied around that. I'm extra accountable. It's when it's just about me and my own accountability. I think that's where people get very tripped up. So just finding that inner will and that deeper drive to stay consistent and steady. And if it means putting some accountability systems in your life, go for it. I believe that people need accountability much more than they want it. Hmm. Totally. I mean, all the classes I purchased online that are pre-recorded videos, I just I didn't finish any because there was nobody holding me like, "Hey, I are you actually doing the work? Watching the video, even though I paid,、exactly. nobody was doing that." So I, I I still agree. You need someone like that. Yeah. I mean, I, even my show. If this show were not public. <laughs> I, I probably will give up a long time ago. Yes, totally. Because、yeah. now it's like public. I. I have to like show up, yeah. So I love that. So share with us, what's the book about? I didn't know that you guys are writing a book. Yeah, so we're writing a book about mindset and life set on building a side hustle. So it's not necessarily a book about ideas per se, but it's about mindset and really getting your life and your foundation straight, so that you can actually really use entrepreneurship as a tool to create a great life, not just create income. Wow, I, I I love that. So when are you、uh, halfway through the book, or just getting started on the book? Well, we finished the manuscript, so now it will go to our publisher, and now you know back and forth with the editing. So I think in early 2021, the book should be out. So we'll wow, keep up. Wow, coming! Yeah, then come back, yeah, on the show and talk about the book. Yeah, very interesting. Actually, I wanted to ask you, you know, because many people I know are kind of. Full-time entrepreneurs and part-time parents, or some of them wish they never had kids, so they can hustle <laughs> all the time, right? We hear that all the time. So, like, how is your life like being part-time entrepreneurs and full-time like parents? Do you have like how's your day? I'm just so curious. I maybe I don't know. I don't think you have a typical day. So maybe share your today's. You know, how's the day for you look like today? Well, it's neat because we've created a lot of fluidity within all our roles, right? So I can be on a conference call or you know doing a live like this, and five minutes later playing on the carpet with my you know almost three-year-old child. So it's it's nice because things really can go back and forth with a lot of ease.、Um, mm -hmm. So it's a big blessing. That was really the vision: is how do we create those types of lifestyle choices? We're not. Super into big flashy monetary things, but just how do we have control of our time in a day, and can really 
invest those hours into the people that we love the most, right? As well as those passion projects. Um, it's not always easy though, because it's not black or white. It's not like there's a set schedule every day or that every day is the same. You know, every day is a little bit different. And so sometimes that brings on its own level of chaos, but at the same time, we're choosing that. And that's mm -hmm. sort of like part of the lifestyle that we've onboarded. And it's a really neat, neat opportunity to work alongside my spouse, my husband, and build multiple businesses and do all these neat things together and co-parent. So we've appreciated all the blessings that have come with being able to be where we're at in life. I really love that. It reminds me of recently I watched uh, interview Seth Golden did with uh, Ink Magazine. And in that interview, he said that, you know, people love surfing because every wave is different. Mm. And that's why people love it, you know, in real life, talking about entrepreneurship because every day is different and every challenge is very different. That's why we kind of people like us do things like this we love it yeah so i i can resonate yeah yeah that's a cool, that's a cool analogy i am not a surfer but that does make sense it resonates i'm not a surfer <laughs> either but yeah also makes sense to me yeah yeah so great yeah so share with us where can people kind of i have been sharing your linkedin and website and uh so uh, share with us again where can people learn more about you and uh so is linkedin the best place to get a hold of you? That's where I hang out the most. So that would be an awesome space for people to find me. And we're just big believers if we can either formally or informally help people. You know, that's that's always, always our goal is just how to be a good steward for other people and always love to build relationships with great people too. So we'd love to connect. Yeah, that's awesome. And so this is uh, the website. And uh, if you guys, you know, check out the website and join their list. And uh, yeah, and uh, I am... So excited. Uh, now I know you have a book yeah. and uh, co-author, you and your husband, right? I yeah, see. totally. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was an adventure in itself. It was, it was pretty fun to write. So yeah, I can't wait to check out the book. Thank you so much. Yeah. So just a quick uh, announcement for next week. And uh, so we have Eli, where is I have so many windows? Yes. So Elaine is actually coming in the show to talk about she specializes in uh, one person, kind of this trend of one person million dollar business. And she's a senior contributor to Forbes. So we're going to talk about this trend, you know, kind of nice way to follow up on side hustles or how people start a side hustle, one person million dollar business side hustle. So we're really excited. So definitely join us live next Wednesday, same time if you're interested. And uh, so make sure again to follow Carrie on LinkedIn. And uh, thank you so much everyone for joining us live. And thank you again, Carrie, for incredible interview. And I can't wait to watch the replay myself and take more notes. So yeah. thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. It was such a great conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Bye, everyone. <laughs>